Welcome to the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Today is going to be a fun episode. I have Chase Christopher and Kevin Passmore of The Mountain Project, and these guys do a phenomenal job with their films, and I'm actually looking at one of their t-shirts right here, uh, right here in my closet. It's got a picture of a sheep with uh, organic, and it's uh, got all the different cuts of meat on it, a pretty blue, light blue t-shirt uh, here, and um I encourage you guys to go check out their website. Uh, I believe it's themountainproject.com. One of the reasons that we wanted to do this podcast is I just got back from uh, Arctic Red River uh, in the Northwest Territories, and these guys are going to be going here in a couple weeks, and they had um, some questions to ask, and figuring since I just got off the hunt fresh, um, I could help them with uh, travel logistics, uh, you know, how, how some of the arrangements go, um, how the country is, and what have you. So, uh, guys, I'm looking forward to this. I'm excited for you guys' opportunity to get up there in the Northwest Territories and and do some hunting. So uh, uh, let's just dive into it, hey? Sounds good. Yeah, good good to be here, Jay. Thanks for having us on again. And uh, appreciate you willing to answer our questions, too. It's, uh, as you know, it's a big hunt, and we've been planning it for a long time, and just kind of want to see everything go smooth, so the more help we get, the better. Yeah, and I'm thinking um, I keep watching uh, Kevin's, I, I watch Chase's too, but I've seen Kevin's uh, Instagram posts and him uh, hiking and putting his miles and all that, and Kevin, I'm thinking after going on this hunt, the best thing you could do is just throw Brittany and the kids in the backpack, and that's the best <laughs> way that you can prepare for this hunt. All right, yeah, that would... Uh... <laughs> That would do it. That's what it feels like lately. I don't know how much I got on my back, but no, it's going good. <laughs> yeah, right Kevin, on. Well, Kevin's guys, um, just, what's that, Jason? Kevin's been working so hard on the physical part of it. That's uh, I'm going to have to try to keep up with him on this hunt. I'm just <laughs> tired watching you guys exercise. I I can tell you that. <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. no, if you guys want. Um, you know, if you just want to start just firing off questions, uh, if you want to, you know, start from travel or how, wherever you want to start, just start uh, asking questions. I'm happy to answer. Yeah, I think travel is a good place to start there. Um, I've got a couple of questions written down, and I'm sure Kevin does too. But uh, I guess one thing is is we're kind of both flying from the same spot out of Phoenix, and I don't know if, if you went through Seattle or, or where you went through, but... Um, how was the whole customs check-in once you got to Canada? Yeah, so um, my route of travel was actually from, uh, we drove, my wife was actually headed out of the country as well, and we drove to Denver, and from Denver, um, I actually flew um, United, uh, actually it was SkyWest United, um, and I flew from there to uh, Edmonton, and uh, one of the cool things was my wife had actually booked me a first class ticket which uh i thought was going to help in my travel as far as my number of bags um you know i'm I'm not sure what airline if you're going through seattle i'm not sure if you're going alaskan or what you're flying but definitely make sure you check with your um, airline provider to find out what their uh, situation is on bags. I actually, on the way up there, got dinged for uh, three bags. Uh, on the way back, I actually 
carried my backpack um, and then had my rifle case uh, or, or my rifle in a case in so one checked bag and then and then my teku bag um, my kuyu teku bag was my my second but um, on all of the airlines uh, so from Denver to Edmonton Edmonton then to Norman Wells um, I got dinged for extra baggage so I would recommend if you can take your carry your backpack try and get you know I think it's 50 pounds and more they also ding you so you know you might carry your backpack shrink it down as much as you can from a visual standpoint you know pull the straps and because they will kind of sometimes look at your cross-eyed um, and maybe carry your optics maybe carry some of your heavy stuff so that you don't go over 50 pounds on your bags to answer your question when you get to Edmonton um, I assume you're flying into Edmonton, correct? Correct, yes. Okay. So when you get to Edmonton, you actually walk through kind of a long hallway, and it says um, something like um, customs. Uh, you know, if you're coming from the U.S., take this, and you go into this building, and you actually, um, there's a declaration. It's by a computer screen, and you actually put import, in, insert your passport, um, and then you kind of answer some questions. You know, it says, do you have, you know, cash on you? Do you have a firearm? Do you have um, food? Uh, there's a, you know, kind of a laundry list of questions. And then you, you answer all that, and then you push enter, and then you walk up to a teller, and they kind of, you know, size you up, look at your passport, and then they, if you have a rifle, which you guys will, um, you're going to have to actually put that through a uh, special screening. There's a room where they'll they'll put you through an X-ray machine, um, and it, it all went very smooth. There was it didn't seem like there was any um, issues or problems. Uh, I had ammo. Uh, now this is interesting. I had ammo um, in the case in in the rifle case. And they actually kind of gave me a little bit of a hard time about that and said that the ammo actually needs to be separate, which is ironic because when I came back and I checked in in Edmonton, uh, they told me to put the ammo all in the rifle case. So I had at the same airport coming and going two different stories. One said, no, you don't, you know, you don't want it in the same case as the rifle and you need to have the bolt out. And then the next guy said, no, you do want to have the ammo in the rifle case. So I would check with, I would do some checking, um, you know, maybe online and what have you, because I honestly don't have a correct answer because I got two opposite answers at the same airport. Okay. Yeah, that's, traveling to Alaska, I've, I've got the same experiences, you know, one, one of them wants to bolt out. The next one wants the ammo in different case, and it seems kind of hit or miss whatever airport you go to. Yeah, yeah. Um, I will tell you that you do have to have your customs four four five seven, your U.S. customs four four five seven form, um, and that is basically just showing that you are declaring that you have brought the rifle from the U.S. Uh, to Canada and back. Um, the interesting thing is when I actually crossed back into the U.S. Um, at, at the Denver airport, 
um, they never checked my 4457. So I was told by everybody that, and of course I have it when I go to Mexico, um, but they actually never checked it. So, you know, and I think it's individual agents, you know, agent to agent. Um, but I would have your 4457, just simply your name, address, the make, model, serial number of your gun, and, you know, have them initial off on it. Um, but they did not check it on the way back into the U.S. Okay. Okay. Do you keep that with your rifle, or did you keep that on you? I actually kept it with me. Um, I wore Kuyu shorts up there, and in, I, I tried to be pretty organized. And in my right kind of cargo pocket, I kept a little Ziploc bag, and it actually had my um, my passport, my driver's license, my global entry card, uh, and my 4457's form, which as well, when I crossed into Canada there at Edmonton, at that x-ray machine, they also have you fill out, I don't know what it's called, but it's like a Canadian firearm permit, basically has your name, address, make, model, and, and you sign something. And I so I had that all in one um, pocket together. So I basically had everything that I would potentially need in one spot. Okay. Okay. Now, going through customs there at the kiosk, you said they asked if you had food. Did you, you took some of your own food, correct? Yeah, I actually took all of my own food, um, and I answered the question, and I don't know that I answered it completely 100% correct, because the lady was kind of grilling me, said, well, do you have food? And I said, yes, I've brought food from the United States for my backpack hunt. It's all here in this bag. And I kind, of, I kind, of, she kind of unzipped the bag and kind of just looked at it, and then she zipped it back up. She didn't act like anything that I had was any problem. Um, I showed her, you know, the the freeze dried meals. Um, I even had, you know, some salami that I had taken, and actually some cheese, and you know, all of my daily, you know, my macadamia nuts, all that kind of stuff. And you know, I showed it to her, and she acted like it. It, you know, I don't know what she was looking for but it didn't seem like what I had was anything of any interest to her. Now, would you do that again, or would you recommend shopping in Edmonton, or what, what would you do there? Um, personally, I like having everything done and complete in the daily food bags, all done, you know, all in and done, so I don't have to worry about it. I don't have to worry about getting to Edmonton, and it's, you know, in Canada, and they don't have the same things that I like, and um, one thing I did find when I got to Arctic Red was, you know, they have a big pantry and a big walk-in deal, and there's tons of, you know, Mountain House and candy bars and all that kind of stuff, but I will tell you that a lot of the Mountain House was not the same Mountain House, and a lot of the guides, and even my guide, Al, was commenting like, hey, you get, you get all the good Mountain House, we only get four or five flavors, and that's all we get. I said, why? And he says, I don't know. It gets held up at the Canadian um, border, and they, you know, they don't let in the, you know, the the ch chicken fajita bowls and the Italian pepper steak, and you know, the the some of the stuff that has a little bit more flavor. They're more like the mac and cheese. The, um, you know, they don't even get beef stroganoff. Um, I think they do get lasagna, but okay. So my, I, I'm just one of those guys. I want to kind of know what I'm going to eat as well as, like, you know, the candy bars and some of the stuff that they had at Arctic Red, 
and they could have been great, I don't know, but they were like what I would call like off-brand, different stuff that I'd never seen. And I just feel like on a hunt like that, I kind of want to know what I'm getting into. Um, the other thing I will tell you is I watched uh, even the day when I got in, the guides were packing you know, out of that pantry for their hunters. And, I mean, the bag, the size of the bag that they were handing their hunters was giant. Like, I, I would have been like, there's no way I'm taking all that stuff. So, you know, on one hand, they provide it. It's part of the hunt. You're out of more, more of an expense if you do take your own food. Um, on, the, on the other hand, you know exact if you pack your own food you know exactly what you have um and and you know that's not to say that they hand you your food bag and maybe you take you know you go through it and take some of the things that you that you see in there that you like that's free you know part of the hunt that's provided um but i would still if i went again tomorrow i would pack all my own food just because i would want to know exactly what i'm taking okay Kevin, you got another question? Yeah, real quick, back to back to customs. Coming home, how much time, you know, when we talked with Brian, he was talking about allowing time to, to clear customs coming home. How would you work that into your schedule? Um, I got I got to be honest. Now, I obviously, I didn't have a sheep. Um, I didn't have horns, and I didn't have a cape. So I don't know what any extra things that would be involved with that my interpretation was there was basically no holdup at all, um, but I will tell you that I was on the 610 flight from Edmonton to Denver, 610 a.m., so I literally arrived at the airport at 445 in the morning, and um, uh, one thing I will tell you is my, my, my impression was that that airport is a very busy airport, but most of the times when I was there were pretty dang early in the morning. When I uh, flew out to Norman Wells on the way out, um, you know, coming on the trip, uh, I believe I got in around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Didn't seem extremely busy. I uh, went through that whole process. I checked into the Renaissance Hotel, which is actually right at the airport, which I loved because I literally walked from the gate right to the hotel, you know, it was maybe 100 yards worth of walking right to the hotel. Um, and then the next morning I had, I want to say it was like a 7 o'clock flight um, from uh, uh, Edmonton to, to Yellowknife and then into Norman Wells. Uh, and I got there, I want to say at like 5 o'clock in the morning, um, but granted, I was literally just walking, you know, 100 yards from my hotel. You never even go outside. Um, so, you know, if you're not staying at the Edmonton airport, I would give yourself plenty of time. Now, Kevin, to answer your question a little more in depth, when I came home, I um, the charter flight that you take, it's North Wright Air, from Norman Wells to base camp, they arrived, the, the next group of five hunters arrived at, the, it was an 8.30 flight, and they arrived at 9.30 because it's a one-hour flight from Norman Wells to base camp. And then we got on that flight at 9.30. Well, we were back in Norman Wells at 10.30. 
Well, there's all, every day there's a 3.30 flight from Norman Wells to Edmonton. Looking back, I would have loved to have been on that same-day flight, so I wouldn't have had to have paid for the hotel in Norman Wells because we got in at 10.30, and I basically, you know, twiddled my thumbs all that afternoon that night, and then we didn't, the, the flight out is until 3.30 the next day. So the only downside I could see with that, guys, is if you potentially, you know, let's say the charter comes in at 9.30, you get out at 10.30, and for whatever reason there's weather or what have you, and you miss that, that day's 3.30 flight, you would have to go the following day. So in an effort to, like, make sure that everything was great, I actually had a stay over in Norman Wells. Then I had a stay over in Edmonton. If I had to do it all over again, I might do several things. I might just not even buy a return ticket, you know, get on that charter flight, which they typically try and do at, you know, 8.30 in the morning when, you know, it's good flying conditions. Um, you would get into Norman Wells at, ni at 9.30, or excuse me, you'd get on the plane at 9.30 because they would just be coming in. You would get in at 10.30, and I would immediately go to the airport and try and get on that 3.30 flight to Edmonton and then potentially just stay one night in Edmonton and then back, you know, back to Seattle and then to Phoenix. But you, gotcha. I'm not sure how you guys are playing that, but I felt like on the return trip I could have easily got on that flight to um, Edmonton and saved myself basically 24 hours. Right. Did were you able to? Did you try to get on it at all? Do you? Will they allow you? I, to get I on did. It, do you know? Or? Yeah, I tried. I, my wife actually called, and um, they said it. So it was. I want to say my flight uh, from um, Norman Wells to Edmonton was like five hundred and ninety-five dollars, and they said, "Yeah, you can get on it, but it's five hundred ninety-five dollars." So in other words, there oh. wasn't like a you know, a $10 or $50 change fee, it was basically, yeah, there's a change the fee, but price. You, pay, you pay the full price. So, gotcha. I mean, I, I would probably, if I had to do it again, I would probably just book the same day out at 3.30 and try and skip the Norman Wells, you know, stay over. But you, got, you guys have probably already booked your flight, so, I, you know, I don't know. Do you know what your schedule is already? Yeah, I mean, everything's booked. I don't know time-wise. I know we're allowing. <clears throat> we have rooms for, you know, the two nights going and the two nights coming back just in case there's any right. hiccups or anything like that. But Right. So, I mean, that's the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and honestly, I mean, you guys will have video footage. You guys will probably, you know, have a lot of stuff that you could do. I felt like, dang, let's just get, you know, I didn't have a RAM. It was like, let's just get going. Let's get home. But, right. you know, it didn't work out that way. Now, I would ask you, um, are you staying, do you know if you're staying at the Heritage Inn um, in Norman Wells? Is that the hotel that you're, that you're staying at? Do you know? Yes. Yep. Okay, so let me go over that. Um, okay, let me, let me back up. At, in Edmonton, are you staying at the Renaissance right at the airport, or are you staying at the NISCU, or do you know? The NISCU, we just went off of Brian and, and Tavis, the recommendations, and just went ahead and booked the okay. rooms for both of those. Okay, yeah. And so the NISCU, from what I understand, so when you land in Edmonton, from what I understand, the NISCU 
you can get a, a NISQ shuttle right there at the airport, and it's not very far away. Um, one of the things that I think is good about the NISQ is, from what I understand, um, they have like a sports bar restaurant uh, right downstairs. Some of the other hunters were staying there, as well as they have kind of a walk-in freezer, from what I understand, that they will allow you to put, you know, stuff uh, overnight so when you come back, if you had you know, capes or if you had horns or whatever that you wanted to freeze, um, from what I understood, they were pretty understanding and dialed in on, on that aspect. When you get to Norman Wells, there's the um, Heritage Inn, um, and, and this, is, this is one thing on our trip out that I'll, I'll tell you about the Heritage. So, so we get in um, from... Let's see, we left Edmonton, we flew to Yellowknife, which just roughly, I'm going to tell you, is like an hour and a half flight, okay? And you okay. get off and deplane in Yellowknife, okay? You deplane and you actually, you can stand out there in the, in the airport of Yellowknife. There's like a little waiting area. You can, you can stand there for 10 or 15 minutes and you then you get back right? on. What? Same plane, you, you just, just have to plane. deplane. Yeah. Okay. Actually, let me correct that. You don't have to deplane. You can sit in your seat. I want to say total time was probably 30 minutes. I felt like I just wanted to get off, stretch my legs. I walked inside. So did most everybody else. You, you get back on the same plane, and then it's only about an hour, maybe an hour and 15 minutes then to Norman Wells. So when you get in Norman Wells, I want to say it was like noon, Okay. So we got into Norman Wells, and it was noon, and um, right there where you get off the plane, so you literally walk down a plank, and you walk outside, and then you walk into the terminal, all of your baggage is right there. Um, then there'll be someone from Northright Air that will actually shuttle you to the Heritage End. Now, if the weather is good, they are going to, Northright Air is going to try and take you immediately. Well, what they did with us is they took us immediately to, um, they took us immediately to Arctic Red. We were the first hunt, though. The way it worked on the second group that came in is they had a set schedule of 8.30 that morning. So those hunters, I talked to them, they actually came in and stayed at the Heritage Inn, and then they got on the plane at 8.30 and arrived at base camp at 9.30, which is the plane we got on. So I guess what I'm saying is when we landed and we went to the Heritage, they wanted us to get into our full camo, you know, take our guns out of our case and leave the cases and stuff at the Heritage. They have a little storage room there. And they wanted us to go to immediately to Northright and get right on the plane. What I'm, my bet is, is you will be more like the second group because, you know, we were obviously the first group and there was no one in front of us. I imagine you guys will be on that 830 Northright air into Arctic Red River. Is that on your itinerary or do you know if that's the case? I believe Tavis booked that one and I think that is the case uh, early the next okay. morning. Okay, so so at the Heritage Inn, um, there is a restaurant 
um, and we ate there several times, and it's actually pretty darn good food, and the rooms are nice. Um, and there is a, a, a the owner's actually a really good guy, um, and and he will if you need him to, he can shuttle you. If for whatever reason the shuttle was running late, um, he was actually Johnny on the spot and had a nice pickup truck that he ran a few guys to the airport and what have you. Um, what I will tell you is make sure when you get in, like that you check the restaurant hours um, and, and make sure you, you know, you're not late for that. Because what happened to us is when we got in, they said, hey, weather's good. We want to get you right to base camp. Well, my wife had already actually canceled my Heritage Inn. There were some other guys that fortunately they let them cancel their reservation. But I could see them how, you know, you show up at 1 o'clock in the afternoon and they're like, you can't cancel today. So, but I'm assuming that you guys will go out the next morning, so you're going to have that Heritage Inn. With that being said, I think it's actually good because it gives you a little bit of time to kind of go through your last checklist, prepare, and kind of be ready that next morning to roll. Just so you know, when you, when you, when you get on that north right flight at 830, you, you need to leave the Heritage Hotel uh, with your gun in hand, your backpack on, and camo ready to go. And so when you arrive at Arctic Red, you are basically ready to fly out because um, if the weather's good, they will immediately try and turn you around and get you out in the field. Okay. Okay. Now, the flights from Edmonton to Norman Wells, did they ding you for overpriced baggage on that, too? Yes, yes. So, and that's, that's something, um, uh, you know, you got to keep it under 50 pounds, and that's where, you know, three bags. I want to say going up, I got dinged. It was like 150 bucks going up, and then the flight from um, Edmonton to Norman Wells, I want to say it was another – I don't know why it was this, but I think it was $141 because at that point I had three bags. So I don't know if that was, you know, 35 of a bag or what it was and then tax or what, you know, but it seemed like it was 150 and then 141 So, I mean, I had almost $300 just going up there in extra bag fees. Oh, wow. I think you can go on the website and figure out, um, uh, you know, the different airlines, um, you know, and what their policies. I want to say it was Canadian North is who, who we flew from Edmonton to Norman Wells, and you can kind of get dialed in on what those extra bag fees will be. Okay. Okay. How are the flights? Pretty decent? Yeah, actually, um, the flights from Edmonton to Norman Wells uh, you know, you stop in Yellowknife. The nice thing about stopping is, you know, as much as you just like to blow and go and get there, you know, when you're on an hour and a half flight, you know, by the time you reach elevation and, it, you know, it seems like it goes by fast, and then the, the, the leg from Yellowknife to Norman Wells went really fast. You know, it's only, I would say, about an hour flight, and... That was one thing that I thought, man, I'm way up here, but it seems like it went fast as far as um, once you're in the air. The other cool thing is the whole flight was basically sheep hunters going to Arctic Red, 
going to, you know, Nahani Butte, going to all the different, you know, canola, going to all the different outfitters. And so um, I saw, you know, a handful of people I knew, um, met some new guys. And, and so it was pretty fun to see everybody in the airport and chat, you know, kind of chatted up, um, you know, sitting next to sheep hunters the whole way. Right, for sure. <clears throat> Kevin, you got any more travel questions or do you want to get on in? No, nope, that's, yeah, like me and Chase have been talking, it's really hard to to write it out and lay it out because there's so many flights and times and hotels. So it's, yeah, that, that helps out a lot. So I'm good to go. Well, I, yeah, I mean, I feel like with um, you guys will be staying at the NISCU, so you'll be, you'll be flying in, I assume, kind of afternoon. You'll, then you'll go and stay at the NISCU. You'll get something to eat and then, um, you know, probably be, on that seven o'clock or so flight, Canadian North flight to Yellowknife and then to Norman Wells. Then you'll be staying again at the Heritage. Um, and it, the Heritage, just so you know, in Norman Wells is, you know, maybe, maybe a mile from the airport. Um, and everything's, you know, pretty streamlined, um, with the shuttle system and what have you. Um, and they even have, uh, taxi cabs, uh, shuttles and if you stay at the heritage inn the taxi cab is free because the heritage inn owner just says charge it to the heritage um he 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 really tries to be um user friendly for hunters um and and i felt like um in canada it just seemed a lot more um of the norm you know to see rifle cases and you know guys with sheep horns and what have you so it it, it definitely you know didn't seem like some of the airports you'd be in the U.S. where people would be looking at you cross-eyed. Guys, I've got an awesome opportunity to tell you about. You can check out the Go Hunt Insider for free for a 30-day free trial right now. All you got to do is go to GoHunt, that's G-O-H-U-N-T dot com forward slash J Scott. Look for the blue Start Your Free 30-Day Trial button and click there. This is by far the most valuable tool a Western hunter could give themselves. Insider changes how hunts and hunting information are found. When you go in the Insider, you'll be able to check out the filtering 2.0 system. You'll also be able to check out the draw odds for each unit, for each animal, for each state. Go Hunt Insider has the best draw odds on the market as far as the most accurate. There's no one that gets as meticulous level of accuracy as Go Hunt Insider. You'll see there's complete coverage of 4,200 different profiles every unit every state, every species, every season, in-depth analysis, interactive maps, season trends, unit access, camping and lodging nearby, and historical weather. You'll also be able to see some of the additional benefits, the strategy articles on how to apply, let's say in Arizona for elk, for antelope, for deer. You can go in there and see how in-depth they get it's an unbelievable opportunity, a free 30-day trial. They also do monthly giveaways. So just by being an Insider member, you get monthly giveaways. They give over $100,000 plus per year of giveaways, gear, tags, hunts. Another unbelievable thing about the Insider is the Go Hunt gear shop. So every time you buy something, you accumulate points. In, in essence, it's giving money back to the insider. You might ask, well, how does this work with the Go Hunt Insider? How does the 30-day free trial work? You can sign up to try Insider's industry-leading hunting products free for 30 days. 
they do take your credit card information so that you can automatically become a member once you, your 30-day trial ends. You can cancel at any time during the 30-day free trial and it doesn't cost you a dime. You might ask, how is this different from other resources out there? Insider provides analysis and tools for every unit, every species, and every hunt. In each state that they cover, they don't just cover the top 10 units. Their coverage is super in-depth, and you can find those hidden gem units, maybe something that the draw odds uh, are a little bit better, and maybe some quality it's slipped through the cracks, and you might find a great hunt there. Right now, Go Hunt Insider covers Arizona, Colorado, Idaho, Montana, Nevada, New Mexico, Oregon, Utah, and Wyoming. All you have to do is go to gohunt.com forward slash jscott and check it out now. Yeah. So you get to, uh, you get from Norman Wells now, you fly into Arctic Red. Um, first impression on base camp and, and getting to the outfitter itself, how was that? Yeah, so the flight um, on North Ride is uh, over overhead wing. I want to say it's like a turbine otter or something like that it's a wheeled plane so it's not a float plane that flight takes about an hour and literally you have your gun in hand you have your backpack as well as i took a little um small kuyu keku bag and in that keku bag i had you know a change of clothes um you know my tennis shoes i had so when i when i got done with my hunt um i would have something to change into and that is something I would recommend to you guys to, to have, you know, your backpack, your camo, and your gun and be ready, but also have some sort of little bag with, you know, maybe a toothbrush, you know, deodorant, maybe that kind of, you know, some small little toiletry stuff, um, and then, you know, a change of clothes of some sort. Um, so when you get back off the hunt, you can shower there and, you know, ha- have a change of clothes. My impression was the flight is awesome. It's about an hour. Um, the, at, you fly right over the McKenzie River. It's big and wide. It's like a mile wide there. Um, you fly in. It's kind of an old-style plane. It's a prop plane. Um, now, keep in mind, when you get on that plane, there'll probably be, I don't know, five, five or six of you. Um, they will also be bringing Tavis supplies of fuel. You know, they brought wood. They were building a cabin. So it's it's kind of crazy because you're on that plane and you know you're sitting next to 50 gallon drums of you know airplane fuel. You're like, oh, this this is obviously a little interesting. <laughs> but you know you're looking out the window. You're fired up. Um, you land on the grass strip. Uh, they the guys from Arctic Red will be there with a with a Polaris Ranger to throw all your gear in, and then it's a short walk, maybe a a five-minute, three- to five-minute walk up to the cookhouse and the cabins. And they'll, um, at that point, depending on weather, and you'll probably know just by looking at the weather if, like, oh, it's bad weather and they're probably, you know, we're probably not going until tomorrow. If it's sunny and fairly, you know, calm, you pretty much know that you're going to be, you know, they're probably going to be escorting you straight out into the field. They will, when you... So when you walk up to the cookhouse and stuff, you'll meet um, Amanda, the cook, and and then they'll show you to your room, um, and you guys can stash that, you know, small little bag. In my case, it was a Kuyu Teku bag 
with my you know change of clothes and that's kind of where you will stay when you come back from your hunt you know if you killed on the fourth day or whatever you know even if it went till the end most of the time you'll be flying in from the super cub then you'll get to shower there and then you'll stay the night and then you'll be flying out that next morning um, so make sure you have a change of clothes um, they've got bunk beds in most of the cabins and um, uh, what about primitive your, Go ahead. you said you took your own food what about um, that second drop did you have a little bag stashed for that for yeah you? I was going to tell you that I actually oh. had I packed six days worth of food so I had six mountain house, you know, breakfast and dinners, and I had six daily bags with all my goodies for my for my daily bags. But I also had a, a second food drop. I used a Kuyu meat bag um, because I, I figured it, it was perfect because I could use the meat bag when I shot my sheep. And so I had my, my five daily food bags for my second food drop, and I had my basically my ten mountain houses um, in, in another bag, and they did a five-day food drop. So, you know, I had more than I needed with the six meals and the five, but, you know, having an extra mountain house or two is, is not a bad thing as well. Um, you know, for whatever reason, if you got stuck at the airstrip and it was, you know, bad weather for a couple of days and they couldn't come get you, you know, yeah, I, I, I had plenty of food. Okay. So you're talking about on that cabin? on that food drop, um, sorry to interrupt, but on that food drop, I actually wrote my name on my Kuyu meat bag with all my mountain house and all my stuff in it, and I actually showed the cook, Amanda, and I actually told Tavis, on my bed, sitting on my bed, is my five-day food drop bag. Can you, put, you know, and I had it, you know, my name on it where it was real clear sitting right on my bed. So that everybody was clear that you know that that was what I want to drop to me on the on the fifth day. Gotcha. Okay. All right. So uh, you were talking me, about the cabins. Let me also say, yeah. Let me say um, the cabins. Um, so there's like three or four bunk beds in each cabin, um, and. Now, keep in mind, I don't know what the lighting situation is going to be like on your hunt, but on my hunt, it was never dark. So I went 10 days, and it was it was, it was never dark. It was the first night I got back to Edmonton was wild, you know, to look outside and actually see dark, you know, at, at 11 o'clock at night, it was dark, what it should be. Um, when you sleep in those cabins, uh, it's not a bad idea to have in your extra clothes bag, you know, have an extra T-shirt or something to just kind of put over your face because literally it's it's about it. It was about as bright as it is at like 5 p.m. It'd be like, and the curtains. What I'm where I'm going with this is sometimes the curtains, the, the curtain rods broke. It's just there's a lot of light, so you know you're going to want to put something over your eyes so you can go to sleep either on your arrival night or on your departure night. Okay. So you left out that afternoon on Super Cub with Tavis? Yeah. So when we got in, it was, um, by the time we got in, it was, let's see, we left about 3.30 from Norman Wells. We got in at 4.30. We actually went to the cookhouse, and Amanda actually was had 
had a kind of a late lunch dinner going and we all got a chance to fill our bellies before we were flying out now um, they'll they'll be saying, okay, um, you guys are going here, you're second out, okay, you guys are going here, you're fifth out, okay, you're first out. I assume you guys are going together. So whatever order, you know, I assume they have five or six hunters on the, on the hunt you're going on, you'll either be first or fifth or third, you know, whatever number you are. So you kind of have to juggle, you know, how much time do I have to eat here at the cookhouse? Do I need to, you know, is there anything I need to do in my, in my room, you know, that's why you kind of need to be ready to go when you leave the Heritage Hotel, um, pretty much in your camos, your gaiters, everything, you know, everything on and ready to roll um, so that when you get there, you know, if you get a chance to eat, great, um, you know, and, and, you know, if they say you're first out, literally, you know, you eat in five minutes and you're, you're off, off and running. Um, in my case, I think I was fourth out, so I didn't get to um, I didn't get to the airstrip where I met my guide until I think it was like 9 p.m. But it, you know, lighting wise, it was like three three o'clock in the afternoon. I mean, the sun was still up; it's crazy. Um, and from there, Al had his tent already set up, and he said, "We're just going to stay here tonight. We're going to wake up in the morning, and then we're going to roll." So what were your first when, thoughts when you flew out there and dropped you off and that plane leaves? How's that feeling? <laughs> it's definitely a it's definitely a surreal feeling for sure. I would say to go back to your question as you asked, you know, when you flew in on the north right plane, what were your thoughts? It's a it's an incredible flight in, but even more incredible is then when you get on the Super Cub because now you're actually you know, you're kind of skirting the mountains when you come in from Norman Wells and you land at Arctic Red, um, and it's awesome. But then when you take off in the Super Cub, I was only about a 25- or 30-minute flight out, and it was incredible. It was one of my favorite parts of the hunt, you know, coming and going when he picked, you know, when he took me out and when he brought me back. Um, it's awesome. I mean, because, you, you know, I'd only flown in one other Super Cub, but not in terrain like that. And, you know, you're literally seeing sheep, you know, out the window. It, it's an awesome experience um, in its own right, for sure. It's, I mean, incredible. You're you're pumped just to be there, and, you're, you know, you're just fired up. Very cool. Yeah. And then once you land, is it is it 6 or 12 hours? you got to wait until till your hunt officially starts. <laughs> I think it's 12 hours. Um, don't quote me on that, but it's. Um, I think it's 12 hours. Now, the reason I'm not exact on that, I think it's 12, about 98% sure it's 12, um, is when we got in, we actually, the next day was still not even the season. So we, you know, we were scheduled to get in that next day, but since the weather was good, they got us out. I think it was the 13th, but our season, we had one full day before our season actually started obviously when you guys get there the season will be running i believe it's 12 hours from the time um you you land and get out of the super cub before you can hunt now that 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 doesn't mean you can't hike and you know you know go from point a to point b it just means i'm pretty sure it just means you can't pull the trigger on anything yeah you're basically scouting at that point (laughs) yeah guys just so i don't forget this um, there is one thing that I 
just off the top of my head that I just thought of that I would probably take um, if I were going again tomorrow. And it sounds kind of crazy, but I don't know what you're taking as far as socks. And I don't know if you guys are still planning on taking, you know, 110 or two or however you're doing that. But if I were going again, I would pack the extra weight of a little Ziploc laundry detergent bag, just a, just, just a, like a little bit of powder or whatever you're going to call it, you know, laundry detergent, doesn't weigh hardly anything. And, and my, my um, reason for this is I had three pairs of socks, and I kept rotating my socks, but I would have loved to have just a little bit of powdered laundry detergent that I could put my socks in a Ziploc bag put a little bit of detergent in there, put a little bit of water, you know, zip it up and, you know, let it sit in there with the soap, okay, and then wash it out in the creek because I always, most of the time I had two pairs of socks that I would be hanging to dry, but I would wash them in the creek, but I felt like if I had just a little bit of detergent, I know this is kind of tansy, you know, thinking, but I'm just <laughs> telling you it would be nice to have a fresh, pair of socks that, you know, have a real, you know, smell good. Oh, you man, rotate, fresh, yeah. fresh socks Yeah, awesome. I mean, yeah, and I mean, even if you had to wash your shirt or just, just a little bit, I'm mean, not talking about a lot, but just a little bit, even if it's a tablespoon in a bag that you can get a little bit of sud and, and, you know, kind of be rotating either a shirt or rotating your socks could go a long way. And I mean, you guys could share you know, a bag and maybe have, you know, 10 teaspoons in it would weigh nothing and, you know, but potentially just get a little bit fresher, you know, cleaner system going. Right. Gotcha. Now, did you, I, th I listened to your podcast or maybe it was on Instagram, uh, you'd mentioned the first creek crossing, your, your boots had gotten wet. Um, okay, yeah, yeah. Were you able to get those dry uh, by hanging your socks and different things? Okay, so, you know, on several of the podcasts, I was kind of not freaked out, but I was just, I'd never really, I've crossed a lot of creeks, you know, because I fish uh -huh. all the time, but I'd never crossed in boots with rain pants and with the, you know, with the gaiters and what have you, so I didn't have a sense of, like, how deep is too deep, how far is too far, like when are you going to get wet? The first, that first morning, so, you know, the first morning we're hiking full packed and we get to the first creek crossing. We've kind of been following up. And so, guys, it would be like um, like walking across a two-lane uh, uh, two street where you've got one, you know, line of traffic going one way. You know, so I'm going to say what is that? Uh, 10 yards across, I mean, pretty pretty yeah. good little creek, but it was only yeah. probably between mid-shin and mid-knee, and Al was like, oh, I think we can put our rain pants, I think we can cross with the gators, so, you know, me, I pull out my little Velcro, and he's just looking at me like, who, who is this guy, I've, <laughs> I've got my two-year boots on, I've got my pant, you know, my um, Tiburon pants, I've got my rain pants, and then my gators over the top of that. And then to make it even more, quote, unquote, watertight, I, I took the Velcro and put it around my boot. So, in other words, at the, below the top of the boot, I cinched this Velcro strap, which I got, these, I, I got these cheap Velcro straps, and they worked, in theory, they worked phenomenal. 
and I cinched that sucker down, and then I cinched another one down up by my knee. Well, Al goes across, and he's wearing 10-inch boots, so he's wearing, you know, mid, mid, um, you know, mid-shin boots where mine, you know, the Kuyu boots aren't very high. Well, and, and the other thing is he kind of hopped, he kind of pranced across, but he's carrying his full pack. I'm like, I'm not, I don't want to bust my butt. So I, I, I go, hey, did you get wet? He goes, nah, not too bad. You know, that's the first key right there when a, you know, veteran says not too bad. Just go ahead and go down <laughs> to your Crocs. Um, so here I go. I'm like, okay, here goes. And I got halfway across, and I mean, full on water, like the feeling of not just like, ooh, that feels wet. Like, I mean, full soak. And, Obviously, I was going too slow, being too careful, trying to cross. But, I mean, we're talking, you know, maybe 25 steps across. Way too, way too many to cross. I should have gone down to my waiting shoes. Um, and so I got across, and I literally had to stop and pour the water out of my boots. So here I am, first day. My boots, I mean, are completely soaked. I'm thinking, well, it's not going to do me any good to change my socks because as soon as I put a dry sock in this wet boot, it's, I mean, going to be soaked. So believe it or not, I walked, you know, the eight and a half or whatever miles that day in 100% wet socks, wet boots. And as you can probably imagine in the back of my mind, the whole time I'm thinking, this is not what I need to be doing on the first day of my hunt. I'm going to get blisters out the wazoo. Right. When we got to where we were going to camp, by the time we got there, on the bottom of my feet, so on my heel, not the back of my heel, but the pad of my heel, the bottom part, I could feel blisters coming on both of my feet. So I said, time out. I said, I got to stop here. I pulled off my um, socks and... Um, it was, that day happened to be a hot, sunny day. So my boots weren't just scorching wet at that point. They had already started to dry. But I got out, dried my feet, and did the three layers of Luco tape on my heels. So I basically started, you know, up by my ankle bone and went down and, you know, kind of a horseshoe shape. And that Luco tape stayed on for the entire hunt, and I never felt those blisters anymore. I can't say enough about Luco tape. I've used it on that goat hunt last year, and... Um, I also did my big toes because um, on the inside of my big toe when you're side healing and stuff, I mean, I even have calluses. I had calluses before I went, but they'll get pretty tender. So if I had to do it again tomorrow, I would go ahead and pre-leukotape my big toes um, just because of that side healing on that, you know, the inside of your big toes. I would go ahead and just pre-do, you know, leukotape. So that was my creek crossing. I would tell you that if you can't, in like three or four steps, get across, I would take the time, roll your pants up, and go um, in your Crocs. I actually took Tiva. Um, it's the same shoes that I wear, you know, floating in my drift boat every day. Um, they're just a skosh heavier, but I'm just comfortable with them, and I'm, I'm used to crossing creeks. I feel like Crocs, you know, almost want to float a little bit and so I felt more comfortable with the Tevas and um, you know you're going to go through a lot of creeks where you know it's one step you know you take one step and it's maybe mid mid shin and then you're 
you know, you're quickly out of it, and that's, you're not going to get wet that way. But, I mean, if you have to take more than, you know, six or eight steps where you're all in, uh, I would definitely recommend um, uh, stripping down. Now, I did buy those... Um, I did buy those wiggy waders, and I took them to camp, and several of the guys were like, you don't need those. Don't take those. So I didn't. I left them at base camp, and I would have used them in that first creek crossing situation, but I can honestly say there was only one other situation where I would have used those. So I think it's just as easy to, to not take those and just take um, water shoes. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> what you got, Kevin? Well, well, uh, your food and the food that you took and everything, were you uh, happy with everything you took with the way it worked out? And did you feel full and energy levels and all that stuff that worked out good for you? Yeah. Um, I think what I would do a little bit differently, if you start from the beginning, start with breakfast. Um, I basically, I like the mountain house skillet. I really like it, but I would tell you day after day after day, you get to where you don't like it. So I would mix it up with a mountain house skillet. Maybe the next morning I'd have oatmeal and kind of rotate it. Um, I also had that breakfast hash, but it's pretty similar to the breakfast skillet. Um, so, you know, even though I like the taste of the skillet, you know, every day it got a little old. I did have some oatmeal, and I didn't have enough to do it every other day. But the way I would do it if I if I was going tomorrow is I would rotate every other day. I'd do oatmeal one morning, breakfast skillet the, the next morning. That's that's one thing. Um, and then on my daily food bag, I think you probably saw my Instagram or heard on the podcast. Um, uh, I like macadamia nuts and I like um, almonds, but what I found was I just had that in my nut bag and I just got to where I didn't even want to eat it. So I'm really not a big candy guy or whatever, but I think, you know, taking Brian's advice and doing like peanut M&Ms or doing something, to, you know, raisins or something to kind of add um, to that. Someone was saying last night on you know, to mix in some dried mangoes or dried fruit, I think that I made the mistake of just having nuts. And I got to where several days I didn't even eat them because it didn't look good. The other thing or, um, the other thing was that organic, um, oh, whatever it is, organic honey stinger waffle thing. Uh-huh. After a couple after a couple days, I didn't even eat those. They just did not taste good out there for me. They taste like, I like them, and I eat them periodically throughout the year, but just day after day, I, I, I didn't even eat those. I did like the energy chews, the Honey honey Stinger energy chews. You've probably seen those, but I would, yep. um, I would stagger your flavors, like pink lemonade, strawberry, orange. I'd have a different flavor every day. Um, I kind of like those energy chews on my hikes. I would just, you know, you know, four or five hour hike, you know, maybe I'd eat five or six of those on the way up. And it just, I don't know, for whatever reason, it, it just was, you know, tasted good one. And it, it, I don't know that it gives you any more energy, but it just, it, you know, I, I, I would go and, and take those again in a heartbeat. Um, I also did something that I thought I really liked, and that's those mini thin bagels or those bagel thins or whatever. They're like the half bagels. Have you seen uh -huh. those? 
Yep. Um, and I took, I think it's Nature Nates or something, honey. And so one bagel I would eat, I would squirt the honey on it, and I loved that. I Like that, I looked forward to, and I loved that. Um, and the other thing I took, Brendan Burns recommended, was do dry salami and cheese. And so on the other bagel thin, so every day I, in my daily food bag, I've had two of those bagel thins. One whole bagel thin would go with the honey, and the other one I would actually make a little sandwich um, with salami and with cheese. I didn't do any mustard. I don't, I'm not a big mustard or mayo fan, so I just ate them dry. And I can tell you those two things, like eating an actual, feeling like you're eating a sandwich, that, that was money. Um, now, I, I did Gouda cheese because I was told that, you know, it can be out for days on end and it doesn't get bad. Um, I, I would probably just go with straight salami and maybe no cheese at all um, on that deal. The other reason is I'm, my wife says I'm lactose intolerant and I, I eat cheese and milk and it screws up my system. I like cheese. That's the problem. Is I actually like that Gouda cheese, but I think it messed with my stomach a little bit. Gotcha. Guys, I want to thank Kuyu.com. That's K-U-I-U.com for their sponsorship of this podcast. And Kuyu Ultralight Hunting makes the best ultralight hunting products on the market today. From items like the Peloton 240 full zip hoodie, the Chugach NX rain jacket, and the Super Down Ultra jacket, which will be going on my hunts to the Northwest Territories here soon. If you're talking about Kuyu pants, some of the pants that I like are the guide pant. That's for colder weather hunts, like down in January on my coos deer hunts. You've got the Tiburon pant for the warm season hunts. That's got the air dock technology where it breathes really well. You've got the attack pant, which is probably their number one selling pant. You've got their new pro pant, which is their all season, all terrain hunting pant with a new quiet ultra suede foam line knee pad. It has four way stretch. It only weighs 19.6 ounces. It's got the Torre DWR water repellency. It's got the Torre make spec for odor control. Kuyu's rain gear is the best on the market in my opinion. I routinely wear the Chugach NX rain pant and rain jacket. Uh, I also have worn on some of the lower 48 hunts the Ultra NX rain pant and jacket. Some of the other pieces you've got to check out are the Peloton, which is their synthetic version, either the 130 zip-off bottoms or the 200 zip-off bottoms. They also make them in a 145 merino wool or a 210 zip-off bottom merino wool. These are so convenient. You can leave your boots on, you just drop your pants, unzip your long underwear, and you're off and running again. Another amazing product are the Tiburon shorts. If you see any of the pictures of me in the summer on my Instagram account, 99.9% of the summer I'm wearing Tiburon shorts on all my hiking, all my fishing excursions. It's got the Air Air Dot technology. Uh, they breathe really well. They're very well fitted, and uh, you guys should check them out. The Tiburon short, fantastic product from Kuyu Ultralight Hunting. Kuyu has an amazing selection of products from jackets and vests, pants and shorts, shirts and tops, footwear, accessories, lifestyle apparel. They have a wide range of packs from the Icon Pro to the Ultra, the sleep system, the Kuyu sleeping bag I use on all my hunts, and then the, the tents, the Mountain Star two-person tent, the Storm Star tent, just phenomenal gear. Make sure to go to Kuyu, that's K-U-I-U dot com, 
and check out all of the phenomenal gear that they provide. Um, and then I get a, you know, the little snack size, like Halloween um, size Almond Joy, just the little one. Uh, I got to where that was like the highlight of my day, eating that little thing. So looking back, I might actually put two of those in my, in my deal. Um, and then at night, um, I would eat a Mountain House meal. Uh, I really like the lasagna. I like the chicken fajita bowl. I like the um, chicken and mashed potatoes. I don't necessarily like the chicken that much, but I know it was, you know, good protein for me. But I really like the taste of the mashed potatoes. And then Did there's an Italian pepper steak, I think is what it's, and, and I liked it as well. I might mix yeah. in like a beef stroganoff. What I would tell you is, I took too many chicken fajita bowls. I took too many lasagnas. Like I, I would probably do a different meal every night. So it's just a different one. So it's totally, you know, mixing it up. Gotcha. Did you take like a cup or what did you take to boil your water? So I didn't take a stove. Drink coffee. So I didn't take a stove and. I was told that my guide will have the jet boil and that I didn't need to take any of my own um, stove or cup or anything like that. So every morning and every night, he actually boil, would boil water for himself for coffee in his mountain house. And then I would, um, when I would get up, I'd be getting up in the morning, I would, get, I would already have my breakfast set out and I would walk over to his tent and open it up and, you know, basically set it there. So all he had to do was just pour it in there. Um, and a lot of times I poured my own, but basically I was kind of organized. And same thing with dinner. We'd get back from hiking. I'd get my dinner out. I'd take it over. And um, I, I didn't take a stove myself. And I don't drink coffee, like I said, so it was, you know, pretty pretty easy for me. Um, one recommendation, Brendan... One recommendation Brendan gave me was to, to get a long spoon, and that was awesome. I got a long spoon, and so when you're digging in your mountain house, my fingers never got, you know, you know lasagna on them, and the long spoon was money. That was, that was a good tip. Cool. Okay. Did you guys ever have a, a campfire and dry stuff out and, and, you know, save your jet boil fuel or anything like that and just use the fire? No, um, that was one thing. If you remember, I interviewed several people, and they're like, oh, yeah, we had a fire every night. We didn't have a fire one night, nor anywhere where we were camped, there wasn't even, like, it wasn't even an option. Um, and that was one thing we can get into when we talk about, you know, some other stuff. But we didn't do, like, the traditional walk up the valley bottoms and where there's driftwood. And most of those valleys, there's all kinds of wood. We were, like, up at the head of a canyon and, like, you know, in green grass, and there was, there was no wood anywhere to be found. So, and when I arrived at camp, and I had been told this, Al handed me, it felt like 50 pounds, but it was probably, like, two and a half pounds of salt and an MSR, I guess it would be propane or whatever type of gas, you know, the red, the red bottle, and that was in a bag, and it, it literally... It was probably three pounds, maybe four, I don't know, but it felt like 50. Like when he <laughs> handed it to me, I was like, it, it was almost like I knew it was coming, but the weight of it was like, holy smokes. 
but just be prepared <laughs> for that. You're going to be carrying your own salt, and you'll be carrying extra fuel canisters. Okay. But back to that, I don't know how you're set up if you guys are going together with one guide or what you're doing, but all of the guides have their own stoves. And, I, you know, I would consider not even taking your stove, to be honest with you. Okay. What is your pack weight total with your rifle and all? So I, was, I was 49, I believe I was 49 pounds with, with six days of food. Um, and then my rifle was eight and a half, so I was like at 57, 57 and a half pounds, I think, all in, said and done. Gotcha. Yeah, that's not bad at all. Good, um, let's see here. You were on a 10-day hunt, right? Yeah, I was on a 10-day. What are you guys yeah. on? Uh, 15. 15. Uh, well, I don't know if you get a five-day food drop or if you get a seven-and-a-half-day seven food drop. So that would be a question I would ask Tavis. I don't know the answer to that um, question. So you need to plan your food accordingly. Now, when I got there, Tavis was like, oh, no, you need to have your ten. You need to have all ten days with you. And I'm like, well, Tavis, like everybody I talked to said there's a five-day food drop. And he says, well, there is if, if the weather's good. I said, well, should I go back up to camp and grab my other bag? And he's like, no, we'll, we'll get it to you. So there was a little bit of um, incongruent, you know, like what I was told and what. So, you know, you might clear that with Tavis before you go to say, hey, if it's a 15-day, like should we carry a week's worth of food and we'll get another seven days, you know, a seven-day food drop? Right, and I think everything we've heard is is a uh, is like a, it's split in half, so it's either seven or eight, and then we were gonna do just like one more day on top of that. Um, yeah, for backup as well. Yeah. All right. But, um, did you? I I remember something we were listening to. Did you end up taking any gun oil or anything to like with the moisture in your rifle or protect your rifle you know, any way um, from the moisture? Yeah, Dar gave these little Remington wipes or something. Let me see if I can find them. Um, right here. Uh, yeah, Remington oil wipes, Teflon lubricant. Um, I never used them. <laughs> the gun, I haven't looked at the gun. It's probably a freaking rust bucket, but I, I never <laughs> used them. Um, and to be honest with you, we got a little bit of rain during the day, but not tons. We got tons of rain at night, and my rifle was always under the vegetable. Obviously, it still gets tons of moisture not getting water directly on it, so I don't want to. But it, it wasn't like I was walking in the rain tons. Um, I did electrical tape over the top of my barrel, um, and I never loaded a shell into my um, action. So, I mean, the action that I know of was never even open. Um, obviously, moisture can still get in there, so I'm not, I don't want people, ah, he said you couldn't get moisture in your gun. I'm just saying um, I didn't wipe it down, but I had them with me, and I never used them. Okay. Hope, hopefully, Dar doesn't listen to this podcast because I was using <laughs> his gun. <laughs> So water, Jay, you, you guys were in the bottoms and up top. Um, what did you carry for 
for water storage? Did you have a bladder or an algae bottle? Or so I brought that? a three-liter um, platypus, but I will tell you that all I did was take my, um, I think it's a 32-ounce um, Nalgene, whatever the standard Nalgene is, and um, in the mornings, we would always camp where there was a creek. So most of the time at the heads of a canyon, but anywhere there was a creek. So in the morning, you know, I'd have my breakfast, and I'd try and drink as much water right there at the creek as I could, and then I would fill my, my 32-ounce or, you know, my Nalgene full, and then that would be my water for the day. Now, between the time I left the tent and the time if I ever crossed paths with a creek or any little, you know, seep of water, I would always fill up when I could. And it seemed to be ample um, enough water. Obviously, I probably could have drank more, um, but I never filled my. I, it, to answer your question, like when I would go, you know, you'd hike for three or four hours straight up the top, you know, up on a ridge or up in a saddle or up on the mountain pass. I, I never took a, the platypus with me full as well. I would just drink my algae. And you always felt like you had plenty of water on top and everything? Yeah. And, well, there is basically on top, there's virtually no water. Um, the only thing I would tell you is there was a lot of snow banks. And in the back of my mind, I was thinking, man, since I don't drink coffee, we could actually camp up on top. Couldn't we melt that snow and, you know, boil that snow? That's how I was thinking. You know, I was thinking instead of, you know, because what you do is you camp in these bottoms and then you have a lot of times, you know, minimum a two-hour to, you know, five-hour hike to the top every single morning. So I was, sometimes I was like, man, it'd be cool if we could just, you know, suck it up and pack our camp up top. But then, you know, first thing in the morning, we'd be up on top of the ridge. Gotcha. Did you drink any recoveries at night or during the day, Jay? I, I didn't. My wife had actually gave me some electrolyte packets, and I did a couple nights um, drink that. Um, that's one thing that I would probably look into if, you know, when I'm going on this Alaska hunt, I'm probably going to take some sort of um, something to give that water flavor. It's incredible tasting water. Um, but you kind of get to where you almost crave just something different, and that's where I think if you could mix it up between drinking water and drinking some sort of, you know, flavoring of, you know, either electrolyte or, you know, hydrate and recover or, you know, something like that, I think it would be better. Okay. Now, were you carrying your camp most of the time, or did you have, like, little hikes you'd make without everything? Yeah, I want to say that we we carried our camps, we changed camps seven times. So that was the thing, you know, we covered over 65 miles, um, but most of that was with our full camp, you know, the full 57 pounds or whatever on our back. And that definitely took its toll on me. Um, this was, now, now keep in mind, I've had people say, oh, you have Northwest Territories and you have the Chugach. They're like, oh, the Northwest Territories will just be a, 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 a nice, um, um, what's the word? What am, I, what am I looking for? It'll be a nice, like, uh, uh, refresher, or it'll, you know, it'll kind of break you in. Nothing just like a warm the Chugach. Up? It's, yeah, it's a warm-up. That's what I was looking for. Mm -hmm. The Chugach is so rough, and 
you know, like I'm doing this hunt, I'm going, holy smokes, I'm going to die in the Chugach. I might as well just tell my <laughs> wife, just then, you know, I'm going to, I'm, if I make it out of the Chugach, I'll be, you know, because this was the most physical hunt I've ever been on, hands down, period, end of discussion for me. That's not to yeah. say, you know, the Chugach, I'm going to get off that and be like, oh, frick, it was, you know, way worse than the NWT. But, you know, one of the other things about the hunt is we weren't seeing a lot of sheep. And my guide has been on 140 sheep harvest. We were looking for, obviously, number 141, and he's killed 22 doll sheep himself, three stone sheep. I mean, he's a complete animal, Al Cloth, and he's a legend. And honestly, he walked around, and, and he walked like a rape ape. I mean, the guy never stopped moving. I told him, I'm, a, you know, I was nicknaming him Caribou because the only Caribou I saw, they just, went here and there and here and there and they were just all over the place i'm like you're like a caribou um <laughs> and you know from a physical standpoint i mean he would see a point and be like we're going there i'm like yeah i, I pretty much figured that the highest point in the mountain you know that's where you wanted to go um so from that aspect it was way more physical than what i thought it was going to be now maybe what we were doing you know we we there were several times when we climbed, you know, 3,000, almost 3,000 foot of vertical elevation just to get up to the top uh, where we were going. And, you know, full camp and pack, and it, it, was, it was rough on me. I'll, I'll be honest. I'm not as tough as you young bucks. <laughs> I don't know about that. But yeah, and what, what about? <laughs> yeah, exactly. We'll, we'll talk to you after this. Um, <laughs> what about your camp? Uh, pretty satisfied with the your tent and all the the things you took for camp. And how did how did it fare during the weather? You know, you said you got some wind and rain and lightning and everything else. Yeah, so um, I used the Kuyu Mountain Star two person tent. Um, in my opinion, it's perfect. I'm Six two, six, like they say, you know, Fletchy's like six six with the afro. I'm six two on a on a great day. I'm six three when I'm feeling good, and the two you mountain star two person was perfect for me. I can't imagine sharing that tent um, with someone else. Maybe I could do it for a night, but definitely not on a ten day hunt. Um, the tent performed. Fantastic. I also used it last year on that mountain goat hunt. Um, the We had rain, we had snow, we had sleet, we had high winds. Um, it performed very, very well. I was able to put my backpack every night under my vegetable. I was able to put my rifle under my vegetable. Um, they recommend that you sleep pretty dang close to your rifle. We did not see any grizzly tracks. We did not see any grizzly bears. Um, so I will say that, you know, you guys will probably go and see 40, but um, we didn't see any. We didn't have any trouble with that at all. Um, did did you use camp, a footprint on your I tent? did not use a footprint. I did not use a footprint, but the whole time, every single day that I put up the, you know, the tent, I was cringing because I'm thinking, you know, most of the time it was kind of in, you know, um, the grass. And in the lichen, but I'm like, all I got to do is pop this Neo Air mattress one time, and I'm sleeping on the freaking, you know, 
bare ground and, you know, freeze my balls off. Um, mm-hmm. And I would pro- if I was going to do it again, I would probably take the footprint. I mean, the footprint weighs literally nothing. And I just feel like it gives you just a little bit added protection to protect your air mattress. Um, and what I would do when I would set my tent, I'd kind of usually get in there first and kind of pad down and feel if I felt any, you know, sharp little pieces of grass or something to, you know, I, I was always concerned about popping my Neo air, um, which I like that air mattress. I took the 30 degree bag on the, on the morning that it snowed. I definitely had to wake up at like four or five o'clock in the morning. I'm like, wow, it's cold outside. I put on my super down pants and my uh, super down, um, my super down pro jacket, and I, I every night I'm bald headed, so I wore my beanie every night, um, and it that the sleeping bag, the air mattress, and the tent performed uh, great. Cool. Good. What about uh, satellite device? Did did your guy take a phone? Did you take an inReach? What all? What did you take there? Yeah, hang on just a second. Hang on just a second. Sorry, I had to blow my nose. Um, yeah, so I took my Global Star uh, satellite phone. I charged it. Uh, it was full charge when I when I went. I used the phone pretty much every day just to check in with my wife. Um, I did not need an extra battery. I was probably on it maybe two minutes per day, and honestly, by the end of the hunt, it still had half a battery left. Um, I took a friend of mine, uh, Russ Jacoby, let me borrow his Garmin InReach. Uh, I absolutely loved the Garmin InReach. It was my first encounter with the Garmin InReach. Um, I got the EarthMate uh, app on my iPhone, and I highly recommend that. Um, inside my tent, my uh, well, my fat phone would work for one, but my Garmin InReach would work inside my tent. And um, it was nice to be able to text on my phone, so normal text capabilities, uh, and, and it obviously would, would work through the Garmin inReach. Um, and I can tell you that communicating with Dar and, you know, several of my other buddies and my wife and what have you, the Garmin inReach was, was awesome. I would highly recommend it to anybody. Um, it's the first time I've ever used it, and it performed it was it was better than I expected. I also took the um, the um, Nomad Seven uh, solar panel, and I took a Dark Energy Poseidon. So I would try um, anytime I would be leaving my camp for the day, and it looked like there would be some sun. I would put my charger out or my my. Um, my Poseidon and the solar panel and try and always keep that Poseidon charged. Um, I never saw my inReach go below 90%. Uh, I would every night just top it off. I feel pretty confident that I probably could have gone the whole hunt with the Garmin inReach and never used 100% of the battery if I'd never topped it off. Um, And let's see. Yeah, so Poseidon. Um, Nomad 7 uh, solar panel, the, the Global Star Sat phone, and the Garmin inReach. And, and you the use app, your phone the for app, everything. The, the app on the phone was awesome. That EarthMate app is awesome because you can, guys, you can get weather reports on it. 
um, you know, hour by hour weather reports, um, and you can send out text. And the thing I like is you can send out text and get pretty immediate response. Um, and by being able to use your phone, I felt comfortable. You know, I feel like the Garmin inReach, you know, trying to text actually on the device is a little cumbersome. Highly recommend the app. Um, it's free, and you can use your phone and text just like you norm like we're all normally used to. Right. Okay. And you have a? Did you have an iPhone X or an iPhone 10? Well, it's the same thing. And and I I was always like, it's, what's the X? Well, obviously X is in Roman numeral is 10, so it's the same thing. It's the oh. iPhone X. It's iPhone X or iPhone 10, same thing. Um, I just got it about two weeks before the hunt started, um, and I really liked the phone. I didn't use any apps for photos or anything like that as far as, you know, all the photos you saw on Instagram are just, you know, just me pointing and shooting and clicking and, and taking photos. All my videos were done on the phone. Uh, I did use the phone scope um, adapter on the iPhone X. One thing that you need to know if you have an iPhone X is the phone scope, because it has two lenses, that new adapter actually slides up and down, and there are um, there's uh, two apps. There's the phone scope app that you can switch from lens to lens, and then there's a, an app called a ProCam, ProCam app, and that's the one I used um, the most when I was digiscoping, you know, phone scoping stuff, uh, and y you definitely need that app in order to switch from lens to lens um, when you're when you're phone scoping. Gotcha. And the battery, you used your phone for everything, right? Photos and videos and I, even yep. your audio and whatnot, and it, you yep. had plenty of battery. Well, because I always kept my Poseidon charged, I would every night I would top my, um, my phone off. Uh, I feel like on airplane mode, I could go, I never tested it because I never wanted to get the, you know, real low on the battery, but I felt like I could probably go three days at a time taking all the photos, doing all the stuff that I was doing on, you know, one cycle of battery, if that makes sense. Yep, okay, sure. But I feel like having, and, you know, I got no affiliation, like, Poseidon Dark Energy, I mean, there's several of those bank, you know, battery bankers or whatever they call them out there. I just feel like having that always full or close to full, you know, you can top your phone off, you can top your in-reach off. You know, I just felt like that was the way to go. Okay. Yeah, that's kind of one dilemma for us is whether or not to take a solar panel uh, with the time of year we're going, how much with the extra weight, how much sunlight we might actually see if it'll benefit us or just take uh, the banks already charged and maybe have one drop to us mid-hunt or something instead of taking a solar panel. So I know that's, that's a big one yeah, for us I mean, right now, how we're going to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's not a ton of weight. Um, the, the panel's not a ton of weight, but every, every ounce matters. So, I mean, it's like, man, you carry three you know, chargers already charged, or do you just take a, you know, one each and you take a solar panel? If you get any sunshine at all, um, those things charge pretty dang good. That was one thing that that Nomad Seven. I've used it 
a, a bunch and it actually does really good you can actually clip it on your pack you know when you're hiking you know when you're glassing you know you can leave it on your tent so when you get back it's all charged i mean there's there's a lot of options there okay uh what about binos uh now like going back what did you end up taking on on your trip yeah, so I took my 10 by 42 ELs, my Swarovskis, um, and I felt that they were m more than adequate. Um, I, I did take a little lightweight, slick tripod with a outdoorsman's micro panhead, um, uh, you know, panhead, uh, and I used that. I did glass off of that as well. I used the outdoorsman's bino, um, bino stud, um, but. Al, my guide, he would just use his tripod when he found something he wanted to look at in the spotting scope. And I got to where I was probably pretty much just hand-holding my tens off my knees and doing a lot of, because you can see them. They, they don't hide very well. I mean, they're laying out there in the green grass. or you know, They definitely were easy to see. Um, I, you know, I don't feel like you have to take a tripod to glass off of. I feel like, you know, obviously taking the tripod to use your spotting scope. I also took my um, my STX 65 millimeter objective with the 30 to 70 um, uh, eyepiece, and um, I felt that that was plenty, plenty for what I was doing. Uh, going back, would you stick with 10 power or maybe move down to 8 and say, well, I don't know if there's any weight savings, but would that I, be an option? I would just, I like those 10s. I think they're a perfect binocular. Um, I would probably just go with my 10s uh, okay. for sure. I, I, I think 10's perfect. It's just enough magnification and, and it's got a wild enough, wide enough field of view. I probably would not go with 8s at all. I would probably stick with 10s. Okay. Any other well, any other gear stuff, Kevin? Um, I mean, if we want to move to like clothing and, and see what what you took and what you might change up on that. Yeah. So the clothing, um, I took the Chugach rain gear um, uh, pant and jacket, which I thought uh, was was great. I like the fact that you know it's got the zips down the side, so you could wear the rain pants, you know, but you could still vent. I also wore the Tiburon pant, um, and we had quite a few sunny days or, you know, not rainy and, you know, mixed clouds, the sun. The Tiburon pants I thought were great for my hunt. They might not be great for yours because it's probably going to be quite a bit cooler. Um, I would say we had probably temperatures in the, around freezing a couple of mornings. Most of the temps were probably in the high 30s to low 40s first thing, you know, when you get out of your tent. I felt like the Tiburon from my hunt was a perfect pant. Um, you know, I like the AirDot technology where on those hot days it would breathe, but you could also use the side vents. Um, I think on the Chugach hunt, I might just be going with straight um, rain gear, because from what I understand, it rains freaking every day up there. Um, so I might not actually even wear a pant. Um, I know Jonah Stewart, I know Lance, they don't even wear pants. They go straight rain gear, and they'll either wear their um, zip-off um, to you long underwear and then wear your super down pro or super down pant, you know, if it got cold. Um, you know, 
I think you guys should probably be looking at like that. Um, you know, I think it's going to be quite a bit colder when you guys go, so I'd consider the guide pant, um, or I would consider maybe one of those new pants. I think it's the Talus. Um, have you tried either of those, the Talus or the Pro? I have not tried either the Talus or the Pro. Um, I have not tried either. The other pant you might consider is that Alpine pant. Um, but I think the Tiburon is going to be too light. I think you're going to get quite a bit more colder temperatures than what I saw. Um, now, I did take a, uh, well, back to the, the Kuyu Long underwear. In my opinion, those zip, you know, zip all the way down the leg where you don't have to take your pants off and you can, you can, zip, you can put those long underwear on and off, those things are money. Whether you go with the Peloton or whether you go with the Merino wool, that, that's your decision. Um, on this Chugach hunt, I think I'm going with the Peloton 200 zip-off. But I just, I love that because uh, several nights I slept in my, in my sleeping bag, I would just put those um, um, zip-off long underwear on. So I'm a big proponent of those. Um, I did take two shirts. I ended up taking a, a 125 Merino um, short sleeve, and then I my go-to always is a 145 uh, Kuyu, you know, uh, Ultramarino's uh, 145 zip tee. Um, and on that first hunt again, I might just take the one shirt. I might not even take that second shirt. Um, I, I got a funny story on day five that night, three o'clock in the morning, I got sicker than a dog puking and I had stuff going out every orifice I had. I had, I was puking out my nose, puking out my mouth and blowing it out my <laughs> butt at the same time. <laughs> so picture me oh, in the two person. I wake up at three o'clock in the morning with that feeling in your stomach, like, Oh, just lay, lay still. Maybe it'll go away. <laughs> and then I'm laying there going, oh, no. And if, by the way, it's raining straight down, pouring freaking rain, like water running under the tent rain. I'm like, oh, boy. Do I have to puke or do, oh, boy. I have to do both. So picture this. I'm like, well, do I go out? But, you know, do I go out freaking naked, do everything that I need to do, blowing and going out there, get totally soaked, and then try and get back in the tent totally soaked, or do I go full rain gear, you know, try and go outside in the freaking downpour? So I got the brilliant idea that I was going to unzip the side of the tent. Guys, I'm excited about one of the new sponsors of the J. Scott Outdoors podcast. Canyon Coolers is based right here in Arizona and makes premium roto-molded ice chests that work. The Outfitter Series coolers are made with near-vertical exterior walls to fit snugly into tightly packed hunting rigs without a lot of wasted space. They come at a fraction of the cost of some of the big-name brands. Canyon Coolers is a small operation. If you have a question, if you have a problem... You can pick up the phone and talk to a human being, not an answering service. Canyon Coolers offers the industry's only Vortex-like warranty, which is completely no-fault, no-hassle warranty for as long as you own the cooler. How can you beat that? 
It's literally the last ice chest you'll ever need to buy. Just for the J. Scott Outdoors podcast listeners, you save 10%. All you got to do is go to canyoncoolers.com and enter the J. Scott promo code at checkout, and you're going to get a 10% discount. And I'm realizing now, guys, that, and I don't know if it's ever happened to you, but I hope it never does, it's going to come out at the same time, both it's coming. <laughs> well, I'm hanging. I'm hanging my butt out the vestibule. My feet are inside the tent. I'm shaking my Kuyu dry bags, trying to get stuff out of it because I know I'm going to have to be puking into that. So my butt's hanging out the tent. My head. I'm kind of tall, so my head's getting pounded by rain inside the tent, but it's like touching at the top. My butt's hanging out, and I'm like, "Oh boy, do not crap in your tent." <laughs> And then I'm really? puking, I'm puking in a Kuyu dry bag over my sleeping bag, and I'm like, do not miss the dry bag because you're going to be sleeping <laughs> in puke. Meanwhile, it's going out the other end. I'm going, keep your butt out. Don't freaking dangle it in the tent. It was a freaking nightmare. That I'm, I'm brutal. I'm puking. I'm puking and puking and puking. And it's coming out my nose. Have you ever puked out your nose? I've never mm-hmm. puked out my nose, and it was coming out my mouth and my nose. Well, <laughs> I had chunks coming. And so here's where the, here's where the extra t- short sleeve shirt comes in. I'm like, huh, I remember I got an extra shirt. So I'm reaching around. I grab that shirt, and I start wiping my nose and wiping my mouth, and then I start puking again, and I realize, oh, crap. I'm this Kuyu dry bag is almost full. Ugh. Now I'm I'm still blowing it out my rear end. I've <laughs> almost filled up the Kuyu dry bag, so I'm roll topping it, you know, like trying to roll top <laughs> it, and I'm grabbing another Kuyu dry bag to puke in. Oh my <laughs> heavens! It was multi-use a night bag. to remember. Yeah, it was a multi-use <laughs> bag. So then picture this, and I can't believe I'm even saying this on the air. So I get myself cleaned up, clean every, you know, cleaning every end I've got. And I realize, you're an idiot. It's 3 o'clock in the morning. You're going to be in your tent till 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock in the morning. You have to sleep right next to what you just did outside the tent. Like the Kuyu dry bags are one thing that you can, like, throw outside the tent. So, <laughs> yeah, I slept for three or four hours next to yeah. yeah, it was it was horrible, well, guys. Is this, is it this was, something you ate or just a bug? Okay. Or what do you think? Yeah, so here we go on this. Here's my theory. I got the five day food drop. They dropped a cherry pie. They dropped cookies. They dropped a freaking loaf of bread. They dropped all these little goodies and treats. So we get back. We race back that afternoon because we're like, oh yeah, the, the drops there. And we were like two bears just going at this stuff. So I'm eating cherry pie. I'm eating cookies. I'm eating everything under the sun. Then I'm like, oh, I'm going to have my mountain house. I have my chicken fajita bowl. I freaking puked the cherry pie, the chicken fajita bowl, <laughs> the, the everything. I filled up a whole Kuyu's uh, medium dry or size small dry bag. But, I mean, it's a pretty big bag. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so man. the moral of the story is have a half a piece of pie and maybe one cookie, but don't freaking overdo it, boys. No, right? Don't eat so, everything. <laughs> yeah, 
So I mean, what that well, you didn't have to eat. You didn't have to eat the whole pie in one sitting. And I was like, yeah, I guess I, yeah. <laughs> so I mean, with that, me and Chase have been talking because me and me and Brittany have kind of been wor- working on our diet and whatnot, and trying not to cut out everything that I might have. So in theory, if you your body goes from you know eating the stuff you're going to have on the hunt in decent proportions to boom, all of a sudden it's jam packed. That's yeah, kind of heads up on and watch that. I, I would just tell you on the food drop. There's no reason to eat all that stuff. I just did it because I was like, this tastes great. But looking back, I should have been more disciplined and been like, hey, you don't eat this stuff at home. Like, I don't eat that stuff. Like, right. if I was left to my own devices, yeah, I'd weigh 600 pounds. But my wife cooks good for me. I, I eat good meals. And I just don't eat that crap. And it tasted phenomenal. But that's the last thing, like, I needed to do. And I think my body just went, time out. No, we're not doing that. Right. <laughs> but I'll tell you, I paid the price because I I woke up at seven o'clock. I tried to drink some water and I dry heaved the water up. So I, so I ended up not really eating or drinking anything for about twelve hours, and it it freaking ruined me. We had to climb twenty eight hundred and fifty feet that day, and it was the probably the hardest hike I've ever done because I had nothing in my system. I had I had puked and blow out the back end everything. I had nothing. And so I would tell you on those food drops, like, you know, I just, I wouldn't, you know, I, I might even tell them, like, drop our mountain house and drop our stuff and maybe, a you know, a cookie or something, but don't go crazy because I think my body just revolted and said, hey, you don't eat this at home. You certainly haven't eaten in the last five days. What the heck are you doing? <laughs> right. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, well, that kind of covers the gear and, and uh, after, <laughs> that after, wraps it up there <laughs> after after uh, after that we'll take an extra dry bag <laughs> yeah exactly now I will um, tell you those dry bags I was able to go to the creek I was able to wash them out and you know you wouldn't even tell that that, that happened and yeah, I feel really. sorry for if someone happens to go in that valley that I was in but yeah the, the other <laughs> part of it was like the other thing I can tell you guys is there's a thing called dude wipes. I don't know if you've ever heard of them, mm-hmm. but they're wet wipes, and they're in these little packets, and they're called dude wipes. My wife got them for me, and they were phenomenal because they would, you know, I'd, I'd be able to take a couple of them a day, and they weigh nothing, but they're in their right. own individual little packet, and they have, they're unscented. You know, like most wet wipes and stuff have, the, like, a strong scent. These are right. un, unscented, and they're called dude wipes, and she orders them for me, and they were phenomenal on the hunt. Highly recommend them. Cool. Okay. Mark that down. So, sheep um, and whatever else you saw, how, how was it? How many animals, how many sheep did you see? So, we saw 19 rams. Um, we saw... But the thing was, 19 kind of sounds like a lot, but we saw them basically, I want to say, in four groups. We saw a group of six, two groups of four. Um, so what is that, eight, 14, and then we saw a group of two and a group of three. So there were several days where we didn't even see a sheep. Um, you know, I did not see any ram on the hunt that I was like, oh, I want to shoot that. We did not see any 10-year-old rams. We saw a 9-year-old, two 8-year-olds, and a couple 7-year-olds. 
but it's not like I saw an eight or a nine year old that was like big flaring giant ram that I was like, oh, I really want to shoot that. Darn it, I can't believe it. You know, it, it's too bad it's not ten years old. The the moral of the, or the general gist of the story was I never saw anything that I wanted to shoot, and I never saw an, a, a ram. You know, they like you to shoot ten year old rams. I never saw a ten year old ram. Now I will tell you, we went in an area that Al said nobody had been in since 2005. He was the last person to go in this area. So it had been 13 years since anybody had even been in there, and it was Al. A few days in, Al said to me, Jay, there's not the sheep here like I thought there were. He said, here's our options. We can go, we're 13 and a half miles, air miles from the strip where we were dropped off. We can go back down that valley, go back to the strip, potentially get relocated. It's going to take us a couple days to get there. Or we have another strip that's 15 miles away. We can hunt through some other country and said potentially, you know, have a chance and see some rams. So that's what we did. We covered just over 65 miles on foot. And what I would tell you is we could have came around a hill and there'd be five rams laying there that are, you know, 11, 12, 13-year-old ram, couple giants but it didn't happen. So do I regret going where I went? It's easy for me to say, yeah, because I, I didn't see a shooter. But on the same token, no one had been in there. Like, you know, I could have seen a 13-year-old ram on the first day that was a giant, and, you know, the story I'd be telling is, oh, you know, it was unbelievable. I think right. that's the nature of hunting, and that's the way the cookie crumbles, and that's, the, the hand I was dealt and we hunted hard and I had a phenomenal hunt. I really wouldn't trade anything other than I would have liked to have seen and digiscoped and just had the chance to be like, Oh, I'm going to pass that or, or man, should I shoot that? Or, you know, I never was in that dilemma of like, Oh, should I shoot it? I never saw anything that I was just like, Oh my gosh, I, you know, like I want that rant. Okay, guys, I want to tell you about one of the new sponsors at the J. Scott Outdoors podcast, and I'm excited to tell you about this awesome team of dynamic realtors that I know very well. Dar Colburn, who has been my hunting and guiding partner for over 20 years, has partnered up with my nephew, Jay Pyburn, to create the Colburn Pyburn team. If you're looking to buy or sell any real estate in the state of Arizona, you can't go wrong with the Colburn Pyburn team. Dara and I have been in the real estate business for over 20 years together. And my nephew Jay is an up-and-coming realtor that has many sales under his belt and, and is a phenomenal resource for any person looking to buy or sell real estate in the state of Arizona. Just for the Jay Scott Outdoors podcast listeners, if you have any real estate needs at all, if you use the Colburn Pyburn team, you're going to get a $500 gift certificate from any retail shop of your liking. Kuyu, Outdoorsman's, Sportsman's Warehouse, Cabela's, Amazon, you name it. $500 if you use the Colburn Pyburn team and they sell one of your properties that you either buy or sell you get a $500 gift certificate. All you got to do is send an email to colburnpyburnteam at gmail.com and get your real estate needs taken care of. That's C-O-L-B-U-R-N-P-Y-B-U-R-N team, colburnpyburnteam at gmail.com. So, right. gotcha. but that, that's unlikely for, you know, 
that's not the norm for Arctic red. I mean, they they harvest ten year old rams a lot. Um, right. So, you know, it's just the way it happened to me, and it's not the end of the world. And you know, I can go back, and um, you know, I've got this hunt on the Chugach. So it's it's you know, if I was one of these guys, it was my one time to go to all sheep hunting, and like I had to go home with one. You know, like I never saw a mature, uh, you know, a ram. You know, they like 10-year-old rams. I never saw one. Right. And the 9-year-old I saw was just okay and wasn't that impressive. So it wasn't like, oh, this 9-year-old's a stud. Like, can I shoot him? It was not like that. Right. And me, I mean, but, me and Chase think a lot alike. And in, in hearing something like that with that option of, hey, no one's been in here since 2005, that just throws up a flag of, man, I want to check it out if no one's been in here for that long. So right, a, I mean, and, and so that's my point. It's like it could have, it could have, the tide could have changed and we could have come around a corner and boom, here's our ram and it's just like, oh, that was, was awesome. Right. You know, one of the things with Arctic Red is they're a, they're a classic traditional backpack. Like they don't scout, like there's no helicopters. Like they, it's just they put you and you go. Right. So that's awesome. The only downside is you could happen. You could have what I had happen, and you don't see a shooter. But that's funny. Like I mean, I'm not crying. It's it, it is what it is, and right. and I'm not saying we saw everything. I feel like we combed it very very well and we covered it. But I do not want to sit here and say, oh, we saw every ram. Like you know, they could be around the corner. Like I mean, we did the best we could, and and we didn't see a shooter, and that's the way it goes. Right. My guide was awesome. The staff was awesome. Everything about the whole hunt was awesome. You know, it, 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 was, it was an incredible experience. I've got no regret. Good. So when you glass out over those huge mountain ranges and bottoms and whatnot, is there a country that you can find sheep and it might take you days to get to? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely big, big, big country. Like, you could look, you know, across a valley and be like, well, there's some rams, and it's going to take me a full day to even get over to them. So, yeah, it's, that's absolutely um, likely and absolutely something you might run into. Um, yeah. It's big, big country. Um, it's not hard to glass. You typically, you know, you sit and look and keep moving and dodging and weaving. You're going to pretty much see what's there. Now, I'll tell you on the mountain caribou, I was a little disappointed. I really wanted to see a bull. It wasn't open. I couldn't hunt them. But I really wanted to see a bull mountain caribou, and I never did. We saw in one group, the only caribou we saw, we saw like, I think Al counted 58 cows and calves. They were really cool. And they just kind of ran around willy-nilly, like they'd run over to one snow patch and kind of stand around, and then they'd run over to another snow patch, and it seemed like they had no rhyme or reason. Um, but I didn't see any bulls, and I would have loved to just seen a bull, you know. But I don't, know that we were, I, don't, I don't know that we were, like, in caribou country necessarily. Okay. So, you know, we were, we were up, up in the mountains a lot, up high. In, you know, they say the bulls and... They say the caribou sometimes are higher than the sheep, but, you know, I don't know Arctic Red 
I don't know if we were in a good caribou area or if we weren't even in an area where caribou typically are. We just didn't see any bulls. Did Al seem surprised not seeing any caribou or moose or even bears? Al seemed surprised that we, the lack of game that we saw total. He was surprised we didn't see a bear. He was surprised we didn't, not a moose. Where we were, there, I don't think there's any news, but he was surprised we did not see bears. He was surprised we did not see caribou. He was surprised we did not see more sheep. Gotcha, gotcha. Hmm. Well, what else you got? Did, uh, did Al, when you guys are sitting there looking at rams and stuff, did he give you any tips or tricks or anything he uses as far as judging age? And, you know, because I I want to be able to sit there, you know, and have conversations with whoever we're with and, and kind of go back and forth with them instead of just turning to them and, and relying on them. Did he give you anything to look at as far as judging them or anything that, that Yeah, helps? I mean, I would say there's really no difference in counting rings like there is on bighorns. Um, I was able to count, you know, I was like he's eight. And I, in my mind, I'm thinking, yeah, I was thinking he was seven or eight. You know, I, I, I feel like I was, there was never a time where I was like, how, how, you know, how old is that? I felt like I was, you know, fair, you know, I was obviously always deferring to him, but I felt like I was always in the ballpark. So if, you know, if you have experience counting rings before on bighorns, you should have no problem with dolls. Now I would tell you, I'm, I study body um, characteristics on everything I hunt. I'm typically always looking for, you know, how is the body size compared to that ram? You know, are those two rams, well, one body's way bigger. Look at the shoulders. Look at the neck. Like, look at the pot belly. Um, what I would tell you is we didn't see enough mature rams where I really got a chance to be like, oh, that's a that's an 11. Oh, that's a 10. Oh, that's, look at how, you know, he's a 10, but he's got a small body. So, you know, I don't want to come across like, oh, I saw 19 rams, so I'm some expert. I'm not. I didn't see enough sheep, I don't think, to like really hone and give you like good details of, you know, this is what I would look for. What I can tell you is, you know, obviously you look at base size, you look at rams that, you know, drop down below their jaw, you look at rams that, you know, then flare up, you know, you're looking at length of horn. Um, you know, you're, the rings, in my opinion, are way easier to count on doll than they than they are on desert or Rocky Mountain bighorn. That was just my in, in impression is that you can see the rings a lot easier. Um, what I would tell you, um, Kevin, is look at body size. Um, I will say that the nine-year-old ram that we did see, he did have a much bigger body than anything else that we did see. Um, he was barrel-chested. He had you know, pot belly, he had, you know, seemed like, you know, his, his neck was bigger, um, you know, so body size, everything, and, and if you could get five or six rams together, you know, and they're bedded, and they're feeding, and they're bedded, and they're feeding, and they're up, and they're standing, you know, like, compare, like, that one's horns look the biggest, but when he stands up, the other one is bigger bodied. Like those are things that I would be looking at. And then if you see one that's like, man, his horns look bigger and wow, his body's bigger than anything else. That would be one, you know, if he's 10 years old and something you want to shoot, um, that would be one that I would say, okay, he's got a big body. He's bigger than any other, other Rams. And, you know, I can count that he's got, you know, 10 rings or whatever. And, or, you know, nine rings, whatever you're looking for. And, 
you know, a big ram, in my opinion, is going to look big. Right. Okay. I know we did talk to... answer your question, yes, the guide will... I mean, Al was very, very open to discussing, you know, how many rings do you see? How old do you think he is? Like, body size. Can you see that, they're, you know, those two rams, they have the same identical body. One has bigger horns, but they're they're both, like, six-year-old rams. They're, they're you know, skinny-faced. They're, you know, not blocky shoulders. Like, they don't have the pot belly. You know, all those things. So I, the guys at Arctic Red are awesome. So I, I think you'll have a great time being able to, you know, pick those things apart. But I will tell you, it didn't seem any different than my experience with bighorns that, like, big rams look big. Little rams look little. Like, if you have to go, well, he, then he's probably not that big. If you look right. at him at every angle and he just looks giant, he's probably a good one. Okay. How many hunters at Arctic Red end up taking sheep with a bow? Do you know? I don't know the answer to that. I'm, I'm just going to tell you my honest opinion. In my honest opinion, if you're going to Arctic Red with a bow to kill a doll sheep, I would pat you on the head and say, good frickin' luck. <laughs> I'm, well, I'm just telling I mean, you that. I'm just, I'm, I'm just telling you that. Like, good frickin' luck. Yeah, I mean, I know the we country they live in. The... Like, I'm not saying you couldn't sneak up on one, and I'm not saying that the right circumstance, that boom, it worked out. I'm just telling you, guys that bow hunt doll sheep, I mean, good luck. <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, I know Brian, we talked to him about it on that previous podcast, and he ended up shooting with a rifle, but, um, you know, I didn't know if you'd talk to them and if there were a decent number of guys that try it with a bow or if it's mostly just rifle hunting. I, I think the guys that just bring a bow have a much better chance of killing one with a bow. I think most of the guys, from what I understood, that bring a bow and bring a rifle, most all of them end up shooting one with a rifle. So okay. That's just my impression. And, and I would tell anyone, anyone that's going to go bow hunt a sheep, don't even take a rifle. If you want to kill one with a bow, you can't take a rifle because you will always resort to the rifle. That's not saying you can't just happen to have it and you boom, you shoot one, and yeah, I shot it with a bow. But, like, if you're serious about killing one with a bow, in my opinion, mentally, you have to go in, like, the only thing I have to kill the, this thing with is this bow. Like, I am all in. I got to go do this with a bow. If you right. take a rifle, I'm betting 90% of the time, you know, people are going to resort to the rifle. And I'm not judging I'm just saying from a guide's perspective, too. I'm an outfitter. I'm a guide. Like, hey, man, if you want to kill him with a bow, like, you got to go all in with the bow. If, you know, if you're bringing the rifle after day three or four, and what have you done? You've basically wasted time. You guys are hunting together, and one of you's trying to go four or five days with a bow. You know, you're basically killing the other guys. You know, I don't know if you're hunting together. I don't know what your situation is, but... I'm just telling you, for your first time, and Chase, you've killed, I don't, Kevin, you haven't killed a doll, right? But Chase, you have. Right. Right. I mean, I don't know what you guys want to do, but I'm just telling you, if you're going to try and get one with a bow, I think you got to just take a bow. 
Okay. That's my opinion. Yeah, I would, and I would agree with that. I want to make it clear, like, I'm not against our tree hunters. I'm not, I just, from a time perspective, like, you only have so much time. Like, my buddy Travis and Brad Weeks, you know, they went with the bow, and they hunted 21 days. They never even got the caribou hunt. They never even got the moose hunt because they were trying to kill one with the bow. It is a hard thing to do. Yeah. Okay. Now, you were you were a decent ways away from an airstrip, um, you know, while you were sheep hunting. You know, Kevin and I are doing a combo hunt. We'll have a caribou tag with us, you know, could you foresee, like, halfway through that trip shooting a caribou and spending the time getting it back to an airstrip and then continuing sheep hunting? I mean, how, how do you heck, see that going down? If, if I was in the middle of where we were, heck no. I wouldn't have shot a caribou if it was a freaking world record. <laughs> I, 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 just don't, I just don't see how you shoot a 700-pound animal and have 10 to 15 miles to an airstrip. Like, that was yeah. one thing I thought in... in Keep, keep in mind, I'm, I'm a rookie. Like, I, I've been one time. I don't want to come across like I know everything because I don't. Maybe where you're going to be sheep hunting and caribou hunting, maybe they have more airstrips. But I thought there would be, oh, you got a caribou down? We can fly right in there. Like, but my impression is, like, no, we have established airstrips, and, like, you have to pack that to that airstrip. Well, I was 13 and a half miles. Two days in, I'm 13 and a half miles from the strip they dropped me off at, and the next closest strip is 12 or 15 miles away the other way. Like, there ain't no way I'm pat. I'm, I'm, I want to kill a doll sheep. And you're yeah. telling me that I'm going to kill a bull caribou and it's going to take me, you know, two, three days to get it to the strip, and then I'm going to have to come back and doll sheep like i don't know how it works like i think the bull caribou thing is like if you happen to see one close to the strip that you get dropped off at or the strip that you're getting picked up at or if you're hunting in a in a big drainage area where there's like four or five strips as you go you'll have to talk to your guide but where i went i mean after the you know first mile eight and a half nine miles from the first strip there ain't no way I'm shooting a caribou and walking it all the way back from the strip. That's just my, you know, that's just, that's just my mental, you know. Yeah. No freaking way. Especially yeah. because we were going up over mountain passes, down into the next valley, up over mountain passes, down into the next valley. Maybe if you're, you know, working some of those long valleys, basically using one main drainage, and you're kind of, you know, moving camp every couple of days, and then you're going up the side drainages, and there's airstrips along the way, maybe so, but um, I, one of the things I thought is I would want to go back and just hunt caribou, or I would want to go back and just hunt doll sheep. Now, that's not right. to say you can't have a caribou tag, and if it's just like Brian Renza, first morning he wakes up, and they're, you know, mile from the airstrip, and... There's a bull caribou standing at 60 yards. Well, yeah. I mean, you carry it in, you know, two hours, you got everything at the airstrip, and you're back. Like, I can understand that. But, I mean, we made a big push the first day away from the airstrip, and there's no freaking way I would shoot a caribou where, where we went after the first day. <laughs> right. Gotcha. But, I mean, you guys could very well be ten times tougher than I am, too. 
Like, I'm not carrying a 700 pounds. I'm not carrying, you know, eight or nine miles back to an airstrip and then coming back to hunt doll sheep. I'm just not going to yeah. do it. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, I'm just being honest. Yeah, you're burning a lot more calories at that point, that's for sure. Well, and I don't want to I, I don't want to come across as I'm being discouraging. I'm just telling you my opinion like there was no way if I mean, I wouldn't there's no way. There's no way I would have done it. Just focus on the sheep. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. <clears throat> well, what, what were some of the you know, better pieces of gear, or what were some of the things you took that were just awesome? You wouldn't change. I really liked my my boots. I really liked those Kuyu boots. Um, I really liked the Super Down Pro jacket. I feel like there's added, you know, insulation. It's a warmer jacket than the Super than the Super Down Ultra. Um, I really like that Super Down Pro. What I found is when you would hike up for three or four hours and get to a ridge line and you get to the top and the wind's now blowing in your face or maybe it's like, you know, raining a little bit, all of a sudden you go from being hot to being cold. And I felt like with that Super Down Pro, I could, you know, grin and bear most situations, you know, put the Super Down Pro on and then put the Chugach rain jacket over the top and, I, you know, I was pretty comfortable even when it got cold and windy. Um, I really like that Super Down Pro jacket. Um, let's see. The I took the Icon Pro 7200, and I liked it. I actually just got um, in the mail the um, Ultra 7000, and I'm kind of going to play with it a little bit, and I may take that on the Chugach. Um just to just to save just a little bit of weight, it doesn't have as many pockets. Um, but that Icon Pro, with I, I just like that pack. It's the one I always use, you know, for all my other hunts. So I'm pretty familiar with it. Um, Kuyu beanie, um, I wore that to bed every night, and I wore that, you know, when I would get up to a ridge line, I would always put my beanie on. I also wear the Merino um, Wolf uh, face mask more to keep the sun off me. Um, you guys won't have it, but the bugs were horrible. I would tell people on the, that early hunt to take a head net. That head net was a savior. It, it, uh, it made, you know, sitting around camp, it made hiking, it made sitting glassing a lot more enjoyable because the bugs were horrible. I mean... I'd never seen anything like that for mosquitoes. You know, guys that are probably used to going to the Yukon or NWT are laughing right now because they're like, that's what it's always like. But I'd never seen bugs like that. Yeah, I've, uh, I've only been on one hunt where we had a lot of bugs, and that was my moose hunt in 2014. And they're no joke. I don't know if you, oh, did but. they have the little flies there, the little white flies there, or was it mostly mosquitoes? No, they had mosquitoes, and then they had these little black flies, but the nothing compared to the mosquitoes in my mind. Um, you know, I've had those black flies in New Zealand, and they they can be nasty. Um, 
but the mosquitoes, I don't think you guys will have any mosquitoes because I, I mean, on our last day out, it was actually a real cold morning and I felt like, I felt like it killed a bunch of those mosquitoes. I don't think you'll have any. Okay. <clears throat> well, any, uh, any advice for us other than what we've covered so far? I mean, the only advice I would give you is you guys are going to do great. You're going to have a super fun time. I wouldn't put a lot of pressure on yourself, you know, to shoot this, that, and the other, and I would just let it happen. Um, you know, you guys are going to be prepared. You're already in great shape. Um, you know, you guys have got great gear. I would just enjoy every second of it. Um, it's going to be a grind at times. Um, you know, physically, mentally, it's going to be a grind, and I think you just embrace that. Um, you know, you could possibly go a day or two and not see any rams, not see any sheep, not see any caribou. Like, you got to know that potentially just around the next corner, your whole hunt can change. And, you know, you guys are veterans. I don't need to tell you this, but I'm, I'm also talking to other people out there who are listening. Like, in a lots of other hunts, you know, you can go from hero to zero or zero to hero like that. And so, you know, just keep plugging and, um, you know, enjoy everything about it. There's going to be things in the hunt that go sideways, you know, puking and, you know, crapping out the tent and doing all that. At the, you know, it's, all, it's horrible when you're going through it, but when it's all said and done, it's a, it's a funny story. You get what I'm saying? Right. right. Like, I felt like. Like, oh, yeah. I felt like I wanted to call a helicopter and say, come get me now, like I'm, like, I'm <laughs> dying. And yeah. now I tell a story about, you know, hanging my butt, my butt cheeks out the, you know, out the tent. <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. So at the time, yeah. it may be, you know, horrible. Um, but you guys are going to have a ball. It's an incredible place. Tavis and his crew are phenomenal. Tavis's wife's there. She's awesome. She's cooking and doing all kinds of stuff. I mean, I would just enjoy every aspect of it, and and um, you guys are going to do great. And I've already gotten some in-reach messages from some of the other hunters that are there now, and they've already killed some rams, some 10-, 11-year-old rams. Um, so, you know, my experience with not seeing a lot of sheep, and um, I think I was just in one particular area. I think, you know, I, 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 you know the other three rams that were killed when I was there, you know, I would have shot any of the three of them and been tickled pink, um, you know, so it could have very easily been me, and um, that's the way it goes, and, uh, yeah, I, I hope you guys, um, you know, I wish you guys the best of success, and hope you, you know, hope I was able to answer some of your questions. Uh, feel free, if, you, if anything else comes up, as well as anybody listening, if you have any additional questions, feel free to call or email or send a message through Instagram. And, sure. uh, oh, and one more thing, I would, t you know, you guys are awesome photographers and stuff, but take more photos and more videos than what you think you should. I mean, just constantly be recording and constantly be snapping shots, and it, it's nice to look back and see all the stuff. It's so easy to be like, yeah, things aren't going right well right now. I don't even want to shoot photos. I would shoot more photos, you know? Yeah. Right. When when do you leave for your next hunt, Jay? I leave on the 18th of August. I think the hunt starts on the 23rd. Um, don't quote me on that, but I'm going to go a little bit early, um, get a chance to do a little bit of scouting and, and what have you. And uh, Yeah, we'll see right. if I'm going to die in the Chugach or not. You should, um, 
you should do a podcast with uh, Pete Munich from Stoneglacier. He had a two gets tag last year. And, I know, uh, and he shot just a beautiful ram, um, just yeah. a beautiful ram. I actually know um, Joe, um, our, our uh, mountain goat guide last year, actually left us and, and flew over there and went with Pete on that hunt. And and um, I texted him the other night, and I said, hey, just tell me, is the <laughs> Devil's Club and Alders going to be as bad as what we saw on our mountain goat hunt? He says, Jay, he goes, I can tell you without a shadow of a doubt that mountain goat hunt is to this day the worst brush beating I've ever seen in my entire life. He said, shoe guys is bad, but it's not as bad as what you guys went through. So I was like, okay, at least <laughs> at least we got that going for us. Nice. Yeah. So when do you guys leave? We fly out the 24th. 24th of uh, August. Okay. Yeah, our hunt's... What does our hunt start, Kevin? Is it 26th or 27th? 27th to September uh, 13th. Okay, so you get, you'll you definitely have colder weather. Um, you definitely probably won't have any bugs. Um, I would definitely take a rotation of socks, like I was saying. I would definitely take just a little smidge of laundry detergent. And there's probably old-time sheep guys listening to this going, you, you're such a sissy, but I'm just telling you a little bit of I just take a little bit of clean clothes, you know, you know, if you do take an extra shirt, you can wash your other one and, you know, get into a fresh shirt. I mean, sometimes that makes all the difference in the world, I think, or potentially in your five day food bag or your seven day, maybe have an extra shirt or, you know, maybe have some options set out. Like if you in reach them and say, can you grab the shirt that's next to the bag or, you know, like have, you know, have it pretty well organized where if you need something, they can throw it in and drop it to you. Yeah. Right. For sure. Speaking of old old school sheep guys, um, I saw in one of your pictures, Al had a, a map out. Did you guys use a map or a GPS <laughs> or both? Or? Yeah, no. He. Um, that was one thing I wish I would have had was um, myself, topo maps of that area, but it's such a big area. Like, I didn't want to be the guy like, where are we going? I want to, you know, but... That would be awesome if you could get the maps. Um, but he had this old, okay, he's got this old school topo map, and he's got a dot on there for every place where he's killed a ram, and he's got an X or whatever. Maybe it's maybe it's the opposite. Maybe it's switched around. But he basically has a mark for every caribou uh, and every sheep that he's killed at Arctic Red on that map, and it was incredible. Of course. He would never let me, like, take a photo. Like, it always had to be kind of far away. <laughs> He's like, uh-huh. this is like the holy holy grail of maps. But it was really neat to see because it's just littered. I mean, the guy has been there for 30 years or whatever. Like, <laughs> it, it's just unbelievable, all the dots and all the markings on the map. Right. That's cool. Yeah, the stories. If you could figure out, out where you're going, if you could figure out where you're going, I would definitely try and get whatever you know, topo map or whatever you could get um, to work. And you might check out that Motion X GPS. Um, it worked a little bit for me, but I wasn't in the right area. So if you open it ahead of time and kind of zoom in, when you get there, it'll actually be a full-blown aerial, like a Google Earth aerial, and you'll be able to use that. But I wasn't in the right area, so it didn't open up for me. Okay. Gotcha. So it's basically like 130 miles by 100 miles. 
So it's a huge area. Yeah, that's massive. So, all right. Well, well fellas, stuff, um, knock them dead, and um, I'll be leaving on the 18th. You guys will be leaving on the 24th. Like I said, if you have any other questions, feel free to reach out. And um, thanks for taking the time to be diligent, ask good questions, and hopefully other people were able to, are able to listen to this and get some value out of it. And, um, you know, it was just an experience of a lifetime. I wouldn't trade anything. And, and uh, you know, I look forward to going to the Chugach and, and uh, trying it again. So, yeah, well, thank right, you. Well, thanks, thanks for taking the time. Yeah, All right, yeah. guys. And I can't wait to see your film that you guys film on this um, hunt. And uh, thanks for sending the T-shirt. Um, it's awesome. And, uh, yeah, love what you guys do. So keep it up, okay? All right. All right thanks, thanks, Jay. You. Talk All to you right, soon. guys, take care. All right, bye. Mm-hmm. bye. I want to thank the for their sponsorship of my podcast. I want to let you guys know they are the optics authority. And if you're looking for any binoculars, spotting scopes, rifle scopes, make sure to get a hold of the guys at the Outdoorsman's. If you use the J. Scott promo code, you get a 10% discount on all Outdoorsman's products. Go to Outdoorsman's.com or you can call them at 1-800-291-8065.